I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome. Welcome to another edition of Tehillah Talks. And this morning, we are joined by uh, this amazing group of young people, Alexis, Helena, Natasha, Abby, and Bernie. And we have lots to talk about. Um, At least I think we have lots to talk about. So what's been on my mind, and I'll share this with you and hope to hear your responses to it. This week's uh, past Torah portion was the Torah portion with the golden calf. And um, this year, I think I have more sympathy for the Israelites than I've ever had before. I keep saying that, but I really do. I think the year of COVID has uh, taught us all to have a, a different perspective. But what strikes me about that is the need for a material object. So that's kind of where I want to kick things off. Has your relationship to that which is uh, material changed in this past year? Um, How do you feel about stuff in ways that maybe you never did before is my opening question. And I I use that image of the people in the desert uh, (laughs) needing to see and touch something visible. So, Bernie, I'm going to start with you and then go to Abby, I think. Definitely. Really interesting question. I see what you mean about the, the sympathy for the Israelites. I, I definitely understand where they were coming from more. I guess from your question, what I thought of first was um, was food because my family used to kind of go shopping like whenever we needed something. So we'd end up going like a few times a week just on like smaller, smaller trips. Um, but since the pandemic started, we've been planning it out and doing like pretty much one big shop a week. And obviously, we're so lucky to have access to food and, you know, have enough money to to buy pretty much whatever uh, food we need. But it has changed, you know, the idea of whatever is in the fridge is probably what we have for the week. And, you know, figuring out what we can make from that as opposed to saying, oh, well, we could just go shopping later today and pick something up for dinner. So food is one kind of stuff. I'm going to just follow it up. Does it matter to you all how it looks, how it's presented? Not really. We're not. We're not huge on presentation. Okay. My, my sister is big on presentation. We when she's home, she okay. she makes everything look amazing. But <laughs> for the three of us, <laughs> if it tastes good, it's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Abby, thoughts on on has has your relationship to stuff changed? Yeah, um, definitely. So when I when you said that, I thought more of like. Shopping wise, I will admit I like to get things and just not, I've been lucky. Like I, my parents were able to keep their jobs. That wasn't like an issue for me, but I just like put things in perspective. Like when you see, or at least when you hear about people who like can't afford to like pay their rent, like at least for me, I'm like, okay, I probably don't need that new, whatever. So yeah, it definitely like made me, this year has made me think in like a different way about just the value of things and like if it's really worth it. 
So although you in the past you've liked things, this year has given you a different perspective on things. I'm just reframing that a little bit, right? Okay. Natasha. Well, I guess I I have a question for you. Like, are we equating material things like with the golden calf? Because my understanding is the golden calf is a symbol of religious faith and religiously minded hope. If if I remember the story correctly. You remember the story very well. And I think, yes, it does. But it also is um, Moses being late. He's late. He doesn't appear when he's supposed to. And I think, I guess the reason why I'm, it got me started to thinking about, about things, not necessarily religious hope, but we're coming to the end of this tunnel that is COVID and we're more impatient now than we were because we want this to be over already. Thank you very much. And, but it's also a moment to step back and reflect. They, they don't, I mean, it's the people in the, de- in the desert definitely don't take a moment to step back and reflect. Uh, at, not at that moment in any case, but we have the, the luxury and the privilege to be able to do that. So that's why I'm asking the question. And I, I will, I'll, I'll tell you my agenda in advance. I, I do want to tie this into Passover a little bit and how we relate to, to things with Passover. But I wanted to start here with how this has changed our relationship to things, the things in our life. And the, the Israelites come from a place in Egypt where things were abundant. Stuff was abundant. And now they're in a place of, you know, there's not so much abundance. So making this golden calf, it's material, it's visible, it's touchable. So has that, you know, has your relationship to stuff changed this year or not so much? You think your your attitudes? I guess I just, I think the for me, the golden calf, like, doesn't necessarily translate to the way that I, like, experience material objects in my life. Like, I think if, like, without the metaphor of the golden calf, like, I agree with Abby. I think this is a year I thought a lot about, like, what I spend my money on and like why I did not give more of my money away. I think that like thinking about, for me, the metaphor of the golden calf is like more about like using something that in truth can't give you control, but in your mind gives you control over circumstances that you're in. I think that is more what I see the golden calf as. And so for me, like material things, I guess in some ways feel like a way to make myself feel better sometimes, but not necessarily like something that I truly believe gives me control over my life. So I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. And before I turn to Helena and Alexis, you both live in apartment buildings, unlike our three previous respondents. And um, I know that in our building, the number of deliveries on a daily basis is huge, uh, be it Amazon or the post office. But it's just you walk through that lobby and there are all these deliveries. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw that into the mix as a thought. And Helena, your thoughts on this? Well, I would say like my relationship to material objects has changed. I think when I think of materialism and I think of like the things around me more specifically. And I think while everything around us for the past year has been changing, those are the things that stay the same. And so I think I've learned to like sort of see the value of the things around me more. Like, I guess, for example, my piano, 
it's, it's not changing, but now I sort of have learned to appreciate things like that more sort of like what Abby was saying, but just, yeah, no, I mean, not take anything for granted, but also just rely on the material things because they aren't changing. So seeing what you have and appreciating what's already there and not needing to necessarily create something new. Alexis, where are you in all of this? Well, so I guess towards the beginning of all this, there was like this moment where no deliveries were coming in at all. So it was kind of like, at least in my building, like there was, especially compared to like prior years, there were like no packages or anything. And now there's like so so many things. So it kind of turned into what can I find on my phone and my computer to like do when I'm, you know, bored. So I guess for me, it was less of a, it was more of a like almost shift away from material things, more to two specific things that kind of started to take over my life. And have you shifted from those those specific things? Um, yeah, now it's like it's it started to become more of now it, it seems, you know, we can the postal service is running a little bit better and it, it's easier to get out and go shopping for something. Um, I mean, now I've started to like buy physical books now, so I don't completely destroy my eyes. Um, but it's also like it's also thinking about how for so long we couldn't and there are still so many people who can't and just being aware of that while you're going out and buying things. So it's so as opposed to the Israelites who had like a gut response. And I think what I'm hearing from all of you is this has been a time to reflect on your relationship to material things, uh, a changing relationship. And, and that's, it's actually very powerful. And the question also is what happens when we step out of the cocoon and how does, do we hold on to the things we've learned or do they fall away? That's a bigger question. I don't know that we'll answer that today, but I'm just throwing it out there. The other thing that's sort of coming up, which is also has a, a strong material, physical aspect is Passover. And unlike the golden calf, which is, I think, Natasha's right, it's, uh, it has a, a, a different kind of response. A Passover Seder means that you're, you, you're having a meal unlike any other. And um, it's a didactic event. It's a teaching event. You know, we, we struggle with how we're going to do it. And so part of that is the physical arrangement of the table. And I go back again to material things. So here's another uh, viewfinder about material objects. Very simply put, at the very least, at every Seder table, there's going to be some matzahs, sometimes in a holder. There's going to be a Seder plate. There's going to be a cup for Elijah. There might be a Miriam's cup. And there'll be some kind of a container, goblet, wine glass, grape juice glass for every person sitting at the table and maybe a booklet of a Haggadah of some kind, right? So I'm just, we're all visualizing that. So there's stuff on the table. Why? Why do we need that physical? Why can't we just have a conversation? Why do we need this physical stuff 
why does it matter to have physical stuff? Yes, let me know if you, you want to respond to that as I, as I look on your faces and you sort of take that in um, and think of the times you've been a satyrs. I will share with you that at our Seder, we also have frogs on the table, uh, many kinds of uh, toy frogs. Or I thought you were, I thought you were eating frogs. No, like not I live ones. Like, like <laughs> Natasha had an expression on her face like, you have live frogs at your Seder and they're hopping. No. Cool. No, no, no. They're not kosher. No, 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 no. We're not, we're, we're not, we're not eating frogs. We have frogs on the table that people can play with and, you know, that go flipping across the table and things like that so that people get bored. They have something to do. I'll admit to that. But why these physical objects that we don't have normally when we're having a, you know, a Thanksgiving, people do not have extra stuff on the table besides the food, right? So what, what is there about this meal and the stuff? It's another relationship to stuff and material objects and what it means for us. Helena. Well, I think that Passover, you know, large parts about memory and what we remember and can learn from and can honor about our history and like what we're celebrating in Passover. And I think that each item on the table symbolizes something and it's, I think easier to remember when we make that like specific, when we see a symbol right in front of us, when we're sort of forced to remember. And I think, I mean, everything on the table is highly specific. And also it's the fact that every, everyone celebrating Passover is going to be using I mean, they, everyone has different variations of what they use, but it's it's the same general things. And so I think it's the things that evoke memories that tie us all together during Passover. Natasha? I mean, I think like something I was thinking about, like just based on the email that you sent us for this week, like with the golden calf was the idea of like putting yourself almost on the same level as God. And like, I think that's some of what the golden calf is about and some of what Moses asking to see God's face is about, like, I think the idea of, of wanting to be a peer to someone who is above you. I don't know if that metaphor translates as well to the Passover Seder, but I think like the idea that like we create the story by like engaging with these objects and these objects represent like who we are, like, and I think the golden calf could potentially represent our like desire or ability to or yeah, desire to, to be on the same level as God. And I think the objects at the Passover Seder represent how we see ourselves now, how we saw ourselves when we were in Egypt and slaves. And like, I think it's, it's very representative, which again, I think is why, like, I struggle with the comparison between the material things I have now, like, versus what we look at on this, the Seder plate, because I think they really act as conduits for a way we see ourselves. So I guess when I buy pants, it's like conduit to how I see myself in those pants. I don't know. Bernie? Uh, well, I think, I think in large part, um, the physical like reminders are, are for kids because it gives them something tangible to see. And like that, you know, gives them something to channel that like shared memory through, I guess, like Helena was talking about how it's about memory. Like most kids don't really want to read a book. But 
they don't mind eating Hirosa and saying, oh, look, it's like bricks. We had to carry bricks, you know? So in a way, it, like, I guess keeps them engaged and also gets the story across without having to read a book that is really just keeping you from eating the main part of the meal because <laughs> you have to read it first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't want to go on for too long, but I also, it's really interesting we're talking about this because I have a project right now about making, it's like making a kid's book version of a scene from Frederick Douglass's narrative. Um, and that project is all about like, how do you explain the transatlantic slave trade to kids without, you know, terrifying them, but not leaving things out and not making it seem like, oh, it wasn't so bad. Stuff like that. So it, it's a tricky project. I think it's it's kind of related in a way. Like in Passover, we have these physical reminders um, that could kind of expose kids to the ideas, even if they're, they might not be like ready to fully understand uh, the connotations. I think that's what we're constantly doing. It's this balancing act when we're teaching. And you're all, you know, you, you all function as teachers in different ways. Abby, any thoughts on this one? Um, yeah, I agree with what everyone else was saying. But I also think part of Passover is about like, at least for me, it's seeing how far we've come just like as a people. And like, at one point we were slaves and now we're here and we're better. So to me, it's a little bit like we're reading about like them wandering in the desert and like just being like low. And now we're like having, we're having a meal based, like it's based off of like Greek and Roman times and like just we're much like higher and like doing better. And like the things are just, they obviously symbolize a lot of different things about the story, but they also just show that like, we've come a long way and now we can like have me. So, but for some at various points, it's aspirational. Yeah. I mean, you know, sitting in America today, there's a rise in anti-Semitism. How we come that far? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But in some ways, uh, you know, thinking that people had satyrs in the Warsaw ghetto uh, without and probably not having matzah. Uh, when my parents were in China, the rabbis in China said, uh, no, don't worry. You know, you can eat what you need to eat because your guys are all hungry, essentially. Don't worry about following the rules of which foods you can't and cannot eat because you're in a deprived situation. Alexis, Passover. I think I have to say just a, a little piece is that uh, Alexis's mom just gave a talk about coming to the United States from the former Soviet Union. And um, that journey, you know, for some of us on this call is, is an old journey for our family and for others, it's a more recent one. So I just want to throw that into the frame as well. Alexis. I mean, I guess these things are a connection. Like, I guess everybody's really connected through the story, but it's a lot harder to feel that connection if you're not all doing some sort of ritual that's involved the same things. So I, I guess like having the book there and having the cup and all, you know, and everyone drinking grape juice, it's it helps to think about just how we're all connected and how we've been connected and how these traditions have lasted through time. And they do help with memory, like what Helena was saying, because it's really hard to remember something if you don't have a physical reminder of it. So I, I guess these these objects are they're they're for comfort almost 
to say that, yes, we do remember and yes, we are connected and no, we're not alone and no, we're not going to forget. So so that, that's a wholly different way of looking at a physical object than the golden calf, right? I wanted to throw that up as a contrast. One is it's about me. The golden calf is about me, whether it's a group me or not, but it's, a, it's very self-involved. The objects on a Seder table are about us. And it's not only us today, but us yesterday. And the image this year of holding up the matzah and then breaking it in half and then saying, halach ma'anya, this is the bread of affliction. This is the poor people's bread. I think this year is going to have a wholly different kind of resonance when we hold up that piece of matzah. And I, I invite you to think about what, wh- how would you reframe it this year? You know, how would you talk about it this year in a way that maybe last year you could well, last year was just strange. Um, you know, two years ago, you may not have talked about. How is it different to, to, to see the matzah as, as poor people's bread and then saying to everybody, let all who are hungry come and eat, which is the next part, which we do say. Thoughts about that. Let all who are come, hungry come and eat. What will that mean this year? Bernie. I mean, it, it definitely... It's, I guess it's more what we've been thinking about like this whole year, right? Like hearing in the news about people, how many um, unemployment claims and stuff that, you know, that's been on the news since last year. So I guess it's, it is a lot more relevant. Also makes me just think about how we say that, but at least like my house, we don't have strangers coming in and eating at our Seder. You know, we don't have... Um, people who can't afford food coming in to share our meal. I don't know. It's it's a really odd contradiction between what we say we're supposed to do and what we actually end up doing. But it's also difficult because it would, you know, it's hard to just invite a stranger into your home for something like this. Especially, I think of, I don't know, I think of Passover as something like a, such a family-oriented holiday. Maybe that's just my tradition, but for me, it always has been a, like a family gathering. But yeah, no, that's a lot to think about. <laughs> Natasha. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think that contradiction always stands out to me. But I think this year, especially like what we say we do, what we're told to do and what we actually do and the reasons that we don't do it, I think are are much more. I don't know. I think they stand very in contrast to the crisis that we're facing. So is it a challenge this year? Helena, what do you think? Are we being challenged more this year? Yeah, I think, I mean, in some ways, this pandemic has been like a mini modern version of our like walk through the desert. And there, like there's so many unknowns and we don't know where we're going to end up. We just have to have faith in, in someone and something. And I mean, that means a different thing to religious communities. But I think in Passover, while we reflect on the past, I mean, I think everyone's also going to be thinking about our present and that's going to be something different from the past years. And I guess we're going to be more appreciative. Well, not appreciative of our present, but um, more understanding and sympathetic, maybe. Abby? I don't really know. I mean, I think it's a big question, obviously, 
But like what Bernie was saying, my family, like, I don't, we don't usually like invite people in to our Passover seders when it's normal times. Alexis? I guess it feels more real this year. <laughs> but it also, right, in some ways it feels more real, but it also doesn't, because like, right, we've always known that we're supposed to let the stranger in and we're supposed to let the hungry come eat. But now it's on the news, you're hearing... You, you're hearing about all all these people losing their job jobs and you just know that there are so many people losing their jobs and there are so many people who are getting sick and there are just so many people who have been like hurt by this. Um, so it, it feels like this is something real that's really, really happening this year. That's, it, it's just, it's a lot harder than past years. So I, I will share with all of you that uh, one of the parts of our Seder when, when my mom was alive was she would always bring in her experiences during the war in China. She would always uh, talk about that and make it real for us, that sense of movement, that sense of deprivation, and, and the, the appreciation of coming to a place where she had enough to eat, where she had a family, where all that. And, and having a person represent that at the table made a big difference. So here's a really weird thought for all of you. There will come a time when you will be the adults at the table and you will be that person of memory. You will be that person to say there was a time when. And does that feel like I'm putting too much responsibility on your future self? Or does that seem like something that you'll be able to embrace um, and say, yeah, I can do that. I can reactivate this in some way and make it more real. What do you think? Abby? Um, I actually think about like that idea a lot, like being in the future and like having to like retell this experience. And I like, I think I would embrace it. I really hope that I do. I haven't been someone who's really like truly struggled during this. Like people have been healthy, like comparatively, I've been doing very well. But even so, like it's been a hard year for everyone. So I do hope that like when I'm that person, like I can express that and show like that I was thankful for what, that I'm thankful for what I have right now and like how good my situation is, but it's, that doesn't mean it's not like hard. I know it's hard to project yourself to your future self, but you know, does this experience put an obligation on us to reframe Alexis? I, I think it does because it's an important part of history. Right. And that's kind of scary to think about that. Wow. <laughs> we're living through something that's we have this huge moment later. And I, I think it's really important to tell like the smaller stories. And, you know, I don't think it's too much pressure because I think it's our job. Just like, you know, it's my parents job to talk about how they or my, my grandmother is my mom's job to talk about how they came to the U.S. And, you know, it's an important part of history and it should be overlooked. And I think it's up to the people who actually live through it to tell it at home and over satyrs and in times that are relevant. Anyone else? Bernie? I kind of had this realization. I'm, I'm thinking back to it. I guess it was just about a year ago, last Passover. I think it was Passover. And the polio epidemic came, came up. And my great uncle was talking about it because um, I think he was the only one on the the zoom call or whatever would really live through like the height of it. And I, I just realized then, Oh, wow, this is going to be us. This is going to be me. 
telling, you know, telling the kids like what it was like living through this. That was definitely a weird realization. And I, I haven't thought about it too much, but I think it's, I think it, it definitely is an obligation to talk about it. I think it was it definitely like reframed a lot of things for me. A lot of people have been talking about like not taking things for granted, um, being grateful for our positions and stuff like that. And I definitely think that applies to the story of Passover. And I think, I don't know, if, if nothing else, it definitely has changed how I look at it. And so hopefully it'll change how I talk about it um, with other people. I think it, it highlights our obligation. I think about places that are food deserts in a different way now than I did before, even though I was certainly aware of it. And I know, and one of the reasons that we now list all the different places that people can, t- you know, send food donations or financial donations on our, in our weekly emails is because this is so important. But the notion that we do this at the Seder and that we hold this up and that we say it is a way of reminding ourselves that we've been in these places before. And I think what Alexis said is really important. I don't know if any of you realize this, the Haggadah does not have the story of of Moses' story of the Exodus. It's not, it's not told from Moses' perspective. It's told in a sort of halting, bizarro way. It's not, it's totally nonlinear. And, and by being nonlinear, it provides an opportunity for each of us to tell our own family stories, to find access points for the stories that our families carry with them. And they don't necessarily have to be Jewish stories. But there are stories of coming from places to new places. There are stories of being enslaved and now making a life in a place that had once enslaved you. These are the stories that the Seder allows us to tell. And and I, I, I put that out there that the material things are there to focus. Yeah, they're there for kids, but they're also there for the rest of us. And you guys aren't kids anymore in that regard. They're there to spur us on to think bigger. So here's my final question this morning. In what way do you want to think bigger this Passover? In what way do you want to enlarge the conversation? Throw something into the mix when you're having that conversation. And the truth is, this year, inviting the stranger to your Seder is a lot easier because you, many of us are going to be doing Zoom Seders so we can invite somebody who doesn't have a place to go really easily. You don't even have to feed them, right? But, but you were inviting them into the conversation. I Just put that out there as a thought. But what do you want to add to the mix? What do you want to add to the mix this year? Helena, what, what do you want to add to the mix? I've just been reflecting on my family's seders and um, sort of how it's how like we go about it as a family and um, the relatives we spend it with. And I think over the past couple of years, it's looked exactly the same each year. And I mean, we have new conversations. We have new things that each of us are doing in our lives and that adds to it. But I mean, it's generally been the same Passover every year. And I think this year, if we even can get together in some way on Zoom or at all, I mean, it it just can't be the same Seder. And I think we just have to find new ways to connect through the story and through like our, our experiences over the past year. 
but yeah, I just, it just, it's going to look so different. It can't, yeah. Natasha. I mean, I think it's really going to be hard to talk about the plagues. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like we just breeze right over that. And I think we'll maybe have more sympathy for the Egyptians who are socially distancing. I'm not sure yet what I, I want, what values I want my Seder to embody. I'm not sure how to invite the stranger into the home and, and what that means and who the stranger is and what I'm trying to provide. So I'm going to keep thinking on that, but I, I'm hoping to find an answer at some point. Alexis thoughts. This is hard. (laughs) I guess. Um, I'm also not like entirely sure how I want to expand the conversation. It's, I mean, I think that it'll definitely be just reflecting on the past year because that's something we we say we're doing a lot, but it's a lot harder to do from the inside. So I, I, and I think Passover is a great time to do it because it's all about remembering. And I think, you know, I, I think this Passover will be, especially like thinking about the bad things, but also just the small good things that kind of upset them sometimes. That's really good. Thank you. Abby and Bernie, either of you have something you want to say? Bernie? I think um, in the past, it's been a bit too easy uh, for the conversation to be, you know, we were slaves in Egypt and now we're free. We were hungry and now here we are eating this big feast and, you know, conversation ends there. Um, and I think this year, something definitely to to emphasize and, and to move forward in that conversation is, you know, who is, who is hungry now? Who is, um, you know, who is struggling now and how can we help them be free? You know, looking at our journey and, and saying, how do we help other people take that as opposed to just looking back? Um, yeah, I'm also not totally sure what what I think that it should be, like what the Seder should look like in terms of like conversations. The one thing that I do think is, at least at my Seders, we, well, last year's Seder, we did it over Zoom and I have a relatively big family. So it was, we did one with like my whole mom's side. It was 30 something people, ages from like two and up um, and people of like different religions. So I think just like having people, like everyone like really be a part of the conversation as much as they can or want to be. And just having like the different perspectives there. Like, yeah, I think that. So as a final thought, I'm going to share with you something that came up um, this week with one of my students as we were looking through the 14 stages of the Seder. I would say that most people don't get through all 14 and the realization that the meal doesn't come until step number 10, I believe. So anyway, yes. But the early on in the Seder, we say the blessing over uh, the greens, the vegetables and uh, typically, we dip, and particularly in Ashkenazi circles, you dip parsley in salt water. And I, the question I raised was, how can we look at this differently? You know, let's go beyond beyond the tears and beyond the the salty water that the people had to cross. And someone said, well, sweat is salty. And for me, that 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 opened up a whole incredible metaphor of honoring taking that moment of when we're eating 
Greens of honoring all those people who in the past year have bought food to our table, who have kept us safe, who have been on the front lines, and to take that time. So that's one of the ways that we can reimagine these moments is the thing about the Seder is it's open. It's not closed. Every year, new Haggadahs are published. Every year, uh, there's even a website where you can create your own Haggadah. So I, I leave it to all of you to think about how much power you have in your hands to relate to the material, the actual physical, but also the substantial material, and make it your own. And, uh, and with that in mind, I wish all of you a really sweet Passover. We won't see each other until um, we're probably almost through it. And uh, I thank you all so much for participating this morning. Thank you, Alexis, Haleda, Natasha, Bernie, and Abby. It's a pleasure. You can all say goodbye if you want. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.